When it's time to seed grass, fertilize turf, or add a pop of color to your yard, Blaine's Farm and Fleet's got you covered with unbeatable deals on lawn and garden essentials. Find value on everything you need in-store or online at farmandfleet.com. From farm to fork and everything in between, we cover it all. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Welcome and happy Friday. We've officially made it through the week. I'm Charity Seebecker. Happy to be with you this morning. Today, it is going to be a warm one with a high of 81 degrees. Tomorrow will be just as warm with a high of 80. Well, that warmness continues into Sunday. Be prepared as you can expect some thunderstorms. Stu Muck, our ag meteorologist, has more weather details coming your way a little later. Coming up, we hear from Dr. Shelby Ellison, assistant professor with UW-Madison on hemp research. Farm team member Stephanie talks with Heather Berkland, Wisconsin chief forester, on how the timber industry is doing with inflation and other issues. Also coming up, we hear from Dan Carey, brewmaster with Nuclearis Brewing Company, and a story that explains that while Antarctica may be a world away, many of the weather tools that they use can be found on farms here in Wisconsin. These are all things you don't want to miss. Stick around. Rhodes Warm and Serve Rolls are exactly what your meal has been missing. Whether you prefer a soft white roll, an artisan French style roll, or the tang of sourdough, Rhodes has the roll for you. We mix, knead, and bake them in Columbus, Wisconsin. Then freeze them to keep them fresh and send them off to your favorite grocery store. All you have to do is heat the rolls up and serve them with a smile. Find Rhodes Rolls in the freezer section today. In the agricultural world, we have equipment to put the seed in the ground, take it all the way through its growing season, and put it in the bin. I would definitely recommend Ziegler. The equipment they sell and service is amazing. They care about you, they care about your businesses. They're there to help you, and that's their number one job. Whether you're a large farm, small farm, Ziegler has the equipment that's gonna take care of you and fit your needs, and the support and people to back it up. Reliability is everything, so that's why I choose Ziegler. For agriculture equipment, ZieglerAg.com. Whether it's the sound of the carnival or the taste of the cotton candy or your first blue ribbon, we all have memories of the fair. Here's your chance to share those stories in our Everybody Has a Fair Story contest. The Midwest Farm Report is teaming up with the Wisconsin Association of Fairs to offer cash prizes for your fair stories. Entries are being accepted all summer long and there is no limit, so tell us all of your stories. To enter and see full contest details, visit MidwestFarmReport.com. While hemp is pretty common now, there is still much research to be done, and there's not many people who are actually helping to get that research. I'm Charity Seebecker from the southern end of the world's longest barn in Madison. Jill, you had a chance to attend a field day and really talk to somebody who is doing that firsthand research. Can you talk about what you learned and where that hemp research is coming? I did, Charity. I caught up with Dr. Shelby Ellison. She's an assistant professor at the UW-Madison. This is Jill Welke from the northern end of the world's longest barn here in Eau Claire. She's out there researching hemp, looking for its uses. She's made everything from paper to clothing, looking into the, its value as cattle feed, bricks, insulation. Boy, that hemp has got a lot going on. Uh, my research program specifically focuses on the genetics and breeding of industrial hemp. So 
There are three main products in hemp. You can grow it for flower production, which is where those cannabinoids like CBD come from. You can grow it for grain production or the seed, where hemp seed is very nutritious. It has high protein and high oil content. Or you can grow it for the stem or stalk of the plant, which is where all the fiber is found. That's the traditional use of hemp. It's a long, strong fiber. So my lab specifically focuses on different cultivars, or we try to find as much seed as we can from around, it could be coming from Canada, it could be coming from Europe, other parts of the world, as well as some of the feral hemp or the ditchweed that grows around the Midwest. And we look at specific traits in all of that hemp and figure out which cultivars or which types of hemp have the highest yield for those three things. So we might be um, doing stem yields, we might be doing grain yield or grain uh, analysis for oil and protein content or different characteristics, high cannabinoid content, looking at um, the composition. And then the idea is from that to figure out what performs the best here in Wisconsin, taking those and breeding improved varieties and looking at what are the kind of common pests or stressors here. You know, we don't necessarily need to breed for drought tolerance in Wisconsin, but we might have some unique insects that are um, going to cause some decreases in yield. So we look for varieties that might have disease resistance or insect resistance to to those common pests. And so it's a little bit of looking at the genetics, understanding what controls those traits, and a little bit of picking the varieties to then start our breeding program with to develop new cultivars that perform well here. And speaking of varieties, there's more than one or two, right? Yes, there there are dozens at this trial here. I think there's 18, but um, at a trial I'm growing down in Arlington, I think we're looking at 130 different types of hemp um, so it's a pretty large survey of all of those different traits that we study to see which of those uh, different cultivars or accessions or types performed the best. And along with growing those different types, how much crossbreeding happens without us really knowing? Yeah, it's a good question. So hemp is an open pollinated crop. So one thing that we have to be very careful of in our breeding program and when we're doing research is that there's not that ditchweed or feral hemp or other hemp farmers that are nearby where that pollen might be coming over from their field or vice versa and, and making unintentional crosses. So a lot of what we do when it comes down to the actual breeding and crosses is inside a greenhouse in a controlled environment. So you mentioned diseases and insects. What are some of those diseases out there? You know, people used to say that there were no diseases or any sort of insect pressure in hemp. Um, that is not the case. It's like any other uh, agricultural crop. There are common diseases and pests, but um, the first couple years we really surveyed what they were. This year has been a tremendous year, very low insect and pest pressure so far, but a few of the usual suspects, so there's some boring insects. There's the European corn borer and the Eurasian hemp borer. Um, those seem to be the most problematic insects. Um, there's also aphids, but as far as I've seen, the lady beetles tend to take care of those very well. And then there's some fungal diseases that come on later in the season, and that can be bad because, you know, you have your crop, you're ready to either harvest your flower or your seed, and then all of a sudden you get some fungus and it takes over and you, you don't have anything to sell anymore. Um, so that is a botrytis that's very common. Um, and then there's some viruses that have been popping up, which is interesting. So I actually have someone in my lab that's looking at surveying all of the common viruses that are found. So growers are submitting samples from across the, across the state, and we're just understanding what is there and what seems to be the most detrimental towards yield. And you even talked about the weed problem. Is there a weed problem? One big thing that the extension crew and here down in at Whirling Thunder with Ho-Chunk that we've been working on is 
understanding the agronomic practices. So when do we plant the hemp and at what density? And early on, with poor hemp establishment, weeds can be quite competitive against the young hemp. So you want to have a really good seed bed, relatively weed-free to start. But then once that hemp reaches about you know knee height, it becomes incredibly competitive against weeds. So as long as you have a good initial stand seed establishment, hemp becomes very competitive and, and pretty much will shade out any other weed around. So we're growing the hemp. What are we going to do with it? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, keeping in mind that in Wisconsin, we weren't even allowed to grow hemp until 2018. So we're still in the, the first four years here of producing hemp in the state. Um, as I mentioned, there's those three major products, so the flowers for the cannabinoid, cannabinoid extraction, the seed um, for either human consumption or potentially animal consumption, which is not currently legal, but hopefully will be in the next year or two, and then the fiber production. So one of the major bottlenecks right now for the fiber production, people want hemp fiber for various uses, for building materials, for cloth- clothing, cordage, animal bedding, um, People are interested in these products, but it's the processing out of the field. So when you get that raw hemp fiber and make it into the material, there's that infrastructure that's been missing. But the good news is that these decorticating facilities, the facilities that process the hemp fiber into those core components, they're they're being built. So there's some of them now that are coming to the country. This is what has been kind of the holdup for making hemp. But we have a couple of them popping up. Not yet uh, I'm aware of in Wisconsin, so that seems like a, a good opportunity or some, some novel think, thinking of how we can start processing this. But lots of new products, especially in the building area. And you talked a little bit about your pants. <laughs> Tell me about your pants. Yes, so being that I work in hemp, I feel like I have to support the hemp industry for certain. So um, Patagonia is one of the companies that has a hemp line. So Right now I'm wearing um, pants that are 45%, 55% hemp cotton blend. Um, they're, they're, you know, the word canvas actually came from the word cannabis, um, which is hemp, and they make a very good workwear line. So I always wear hemp pants when I'm out in the field. So your hemp research, this is not a one-year-and-done thing. How long have you been at it, and how long do you feel like before you get it into the rotation of the farmer's fields? Yeah, so this is a a hugely collaborative effort. So there's been folks in Extension and other growers around the state that have been doing this since it was legal in 2018. Um, Me at UW-Madison, I jumped in in 2020, but really these are multi-year trials. We want to grow the same cultivars many years and see how they perform. So we are finally getting to the point now where we have three, four years of data really getting a good idea of what cultivars perform well here so we can make recommendations to the farmers. If you want a grain type, this is what you grow. If you want a fiber type, this is what you grow. This is the planting date. This is the planting density. This is the fertility management. So I think we're getting really close there. There's some really good um, extension publications and other peer-reviewed publications coming out to make those recommendations. Um, Events like this, the field day, being able to share some of the research is great. So we're really getting there. And the good thing is, you know, we can grow hemp quite well in the state and we've had people working really hard uh, the last couple years and it it shows so we have several USDA grants that we've been able to receive to continue this research so there's funding through SARE there's funding through USDA uh, NEFA lots of different funding agencies um, that are supporting this projects moving forward for the next couple of years so we'll we'll be continuing this and generating this data for people in the state.
Let's look into the future. Your research is setting up to get this hemp integrated into those fields. What do you think that will look like for manufacturing and processing and getting it really out there? The purpose of this research is really to make sure that we have recommendations that if a farmer grows it, there's going to be they're going to be successful in generating the yield they need to be profitable and that there's going to be someone that's going to take that hemp from them because it's a high quality product. You know, early on people, a lot of people grew hemp in 2019, 2020, over a thousand people were growing hemp in the state. Who knows what it's going to be this year? The goal is not that we're going to replace a corn monoculture with a hemp monoculture. The goal is to diversify agriculture, to have another crop being put into rotation. You know, having that three crop rotation with corn and soy, that's super viable. That makes a healthier um, system, cropping system for production, less pest pressure. So just finding crops that grow well here that we can fit in to diversify our agriculture and what products are being produced with what types of plants is going to be a better overall system, in, in my opinion. <laughs> um, so that's the ultimate goal is finding people that are going to grow here and be profitable growing it. And it was mentioned that this is a generally a shorter growing season and cover crops can come into play with this? Yeah, so what we've found typically is that you, and especially in northern parts of Wisconsin, you don't need to plant until mid-June, so that's going to allow cover crops potentially to be on the fields longer into that um, time when you're actually coming through and planting hemp. And that was Dr. Shelby Ellison, assistant professor down at UW-Madison in the Department of Horticulture down here at the Industrial Hemp for a Grain and Fiber Field Days in Toma. And I'm Jill Welke from the northern end of the world's longest barn here in Eau Claire. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Hi, Grandma. What's for dinner? Hey, honey, I'm making stew tonight. Ooh, can Nina come over? I'm not sure about our new friend. I wonder if there's been any drinking going on. Alcohol at her age can lead to so many bad things. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! This is hard. She's so young. But I know I need to talk to her about it now before someone tries to give her alcohol. If anyone ever does offer you a drink, I want you to say no. I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. Okay. Really? I promise, Grandma. I love you too. Okay, how about tasting the stew and telling me what you think? Mm. Some children may try alcohol as young as nine years old. It's not too early to talk about drinking. For tips on how to begin the conversation, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. When you're planning your remodeling project, you'll want to know where every penny is spent. Not just one big fat bid out of nowhere. AF Construction explains your plan one item at a time. Their line item estimates spell out everything, showing you exactly what you're getting. AF Construction, your local hands-on remodeling contractor, offering line item estimates and eye-popping results. For your free consultation, visit afconstructionllc.com. Get ready for a remarkable new look. Not only is William Thomas Custom Jewelry known for creating unique pieces, 
They're unique in their approach. They actually encourage you to shop around at other jewelry stores first. You'll quickly realize that William Thomas is no doubt your forever jewelry resource. Experience William Thomas Custom Jewelry. They'll help you create a one-of-a-kind piece that you'll be proud to wear from day one. William Thomas Custom Jewelry. Your inspiration, your custom jeweler. From farm to fork and everything in between, we cover it all. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Welcome back on a Friday morning. We made it, everybody. It's officially Friday. I'm Charity Seebecker in for Farm Director Pam Youngke. It's time for your Compier Financial Egg Weather Update with Egg Meteorologist Stu Muck. Stu, how are things going? Well, we've had a pretty nice summer week after a wet start, Charity, but now I have to talk about the weekend, and yes, there will be some chance of rain. There's been a low-pressure system off to our northwest the last several days, still just moving into northwest Minnesota this morning. A warm front extends from that low through northern Minnesota up toward the UP of Michigan. A cool front extends southwest from eastern South Dakota into Nebraska, and there are areas of rainfall. Most of that in the UP, Lake Superior, far northern Minnesota, with a band of very scattered, broken-up showers extending down through eastern and south-central Minnesota back into Iowa. That does stand a chance to make its way to Wisconsin. I'd say La Crosse will have a small chance of a shower this evening, or more likely overnight. Most of us then talk about the chance of a scattered shower Saturday, and into Saturday night, there may be some activity early Sunday, and then again late Sunday. Overall, it really appears rain amounts could end up in about that quarter-to-half-inch range. A thunderstorm could push your localized amount up just a bit. I'll have forecast details right after this. As a dairy farmer, you depend on your milk receiver pump. McFinn Technologies of Kenosha introduces the impressive Bowpeller pump. It's quieter, there's lower maintenance, as the seals last much longer than your old milk receiver pump. It offers a more powerful cleaning cycle with higher velocities, and it doesn't degrade the quality of your milk. Ask your dealer for the Bowpillar Milk Receiver Pump, patented by McFenn Technologies, an American company committed to providing a better product for the dairy industry. Rhodes Warm and Serve Rolls are exactly what your meal has been missing. Whether you prefer a soft white roll, an artisan French style roll, or the tang of sourdough, Rhodes has a roll for you. We mix, knead, and bake them in Columbus, Wisconsin, then freeze them to keep them fresh and send them off to your favorite grocery store. All you have to do is heat the rolls up and serve them with a smile. Find Rhodes Rolls in the freezer section today. It's Charity here on this Friday morning with egg meteorologist Stu Muck. So we're going to see some warm weather still, but like you mentioned earlier, Stu, we've got some rain potential coming through. What is our forecast going on with us right now, and how is that going to affect people getting in their fields? Well, it's probably going to slow us down again here in the weekend, but today and even into tomorrow, a pretty good chance to still get somewhere. Let's look for mostly sunny skies today. Low 80s for highs, well above normal. South winds will be around 5 to 10. Overnight, partly cloudy. That chance of a scattered shower earlier tonight in western Wisconsin toward daybreak further east. Mid-60s overnight, south winds at 5 to 15. I'll call it mostly sunny east tomorrow, partly sunny west. A shower could be a thunderstorm. 
could be already in the morning or in the early part of the afternoon in western Wisconsin later the day in the east still in the low 80s south winds at 5 to 15 Saturday night more likely some rain could be around early Sunday and again late in the day partly sunny still in the very upper 70s or about 80 on Sunday charity so nice temperatures but we do stand a better chance to get wet by late Saturday into Sunday so it's a good thing that our Wisconsinites are diehard fa- um, football, like Packer and Badger fans, because they both have home games this weekend. They, I think that makes their experience that much better. They enjoy it, from what I've seen anyway. Well, we'll That's catch talent. up with you for sure on Monday, Stu. Thank you again for your weather update. Once again, that was Stu Muck, our ag meteorologist. Stick around. We've got more news coming your way. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. Life is short, and if we spend our time suffering with pain and it takes away our joy, that's not a very good way to live. He's right. It's hard to be happy when you're in constant pain. QC Kinetics patient Chad admits the chronic pain in his knee really robbed his quality of life. When I was going to the traditional doctor and getting the pain pills, my smile wasn't as big as it usually is. Going to my high school reunion on crutches, it was awful. But then Chad visited QC Kinetics. He experienced the real power behind natural regenerative treatments. Using healing properties from his own body, QC Kinetics was able to restore and repair damaged tissue, finally giving Chad lasting relief with no drugs, no surgery, and no downtime. And I'm feeling on top of the world because of QC Kinetics. Learn how advanced regenerative medicine can help your body heal itself at QC Kinetics. Call now for your free consultation. Call QC Kinetics, 608-319-1750. That's 608-319-1750. 608-319-1750. You would never overpay for something if you knew you could get the product for much less elsewhere. Much like you wouldn't pay $6 a gallon for gas if the pump down the street was charging the fair market price of $4, would you? So why pay more than MSRP on your next Chevy truck? Bergstrom Chevrolet is a local, family-owned company that values your dollar as much as you do, so you never pay above manufacturer's suggested retail price. And Bergstrom has the inventory to fill your fleet or fix you up with a truck that's going to pull your toys. So go ahead, shop around, and compare that final cost. If the guys down the street are blowing smoke up your tailpipe, jacking up the price on their Chevy trucks stop by Bergstrom Chevrolet where you never get charged over MSRP Your next job could be as close as seven miles south of Madison. Tructi LLC in Oregon is growing and are now hiring in all areas, including builders, electricians, and electrical engineers, to name a few. You'll work at the same place every day. Schedules are flexible, pay scale is attractive, and receive a $2,500 sign-on bonus. Plus, a huge advantage of being closer to work and saving on gas. Apply in person or online at T-R-A-C-H-T-E-U-S-A.com. Create the floors you love this season with DIY and budget-friendly flooring from Wiseway. With Wiseway Flooring's direction, you'll only need to be moderately handy to accomplish brand new floors. I'm Mike Yenser at Wiseway Flooring, inviting you to visit our showroom in Watertown, Lake Mills, and Oconomowoc. See how our do-it-yourself products might be the right thing for you. Commercial or residential, the wise have it. Log on to INeedFlooringNow.com. 
You wear the same size, you do the same workout, yet her butt is high and tight. And let's face it, she's smoking hot. While you're just another sweaty Betty, what you don't know is while you're putting in extra time grunting it out at the gym, she is relaxing poolside. And why? Because she comes to Carbon World Health for FDA-approved M-Sculpt treatments. Her butt is a work of art because this technology is state-of-the-art. CarbonWorldHealth.com When it comes to jewelry appraisals, get to know your Denny's jeweler. There's a number of different reasons a person will do appraisals. We just say bring in everything. It's so fun because it's like when somebody brings that stuff in and they're all excited, then they start thinking about it and where it came from, which is priceless. I'm Pete Denny. Come meet the entire Denny's family at Denny's Jewelers. Rural Mutual is the number one farm insurer in Wisconsin for a good reason. As a company founded by farmers, they understand the ag industry and its challenges. Local agents offer farm families the best advice and personalized coverage. Visit RuralMutual.com to find an agent near you. Rural Mutual Insurance, keeping Wisconsin strong. You know who tells a great story? Our Tom's Auto Center customers, like Blake, who recently gave us a five-star review. It reads, I appreciated the emailed estimate and text message communication about the repairs. Thanks, Blake. Schedule your appointment, tomsautocenter.com. We'll make sure you get five-star service. Tom's Auto Center. We're the getter, fix, getter, done to get you going, guys. Off Highway 51 in McFarland, a stone's throw from McDonald's. Just really quick on the on the Vikings loss. Uh, what's the biggest concern? Is it uh, Justin Jefferson still running wide open? That defense is kind of a stinker. Uh, that uh, Rodgers couldn't get the offense humming. They refused to hand the ball off to something that was working. Is it, is it truly is the defense was the biggest question mark? No, I, no, I, I think the defense kind of got some things figured out in the second half, guys. When it only allowed six points, I thought they were better. Um, I, I think the fact the offense struggled throughout the course of the day is, is the number one concern. And, and guys, it's stuff we've talked about since the draft, right? When when they elected not to take a wide receiver in round one, when they, um, you know, went defense, defense to start, when they when they let Devontae Adams walk out the door and, and didn't really readdress that with a, a, a proven veteran commodity. And, and we all studied the roster closely and said, man, this, this is a wide receiver core with a lot of threes and fours right now. It's got got a lot of washed up veterans and a lot of young guys. I mean, again, the the young guys are eventually going to blossom. I do fully believe that, Evo, and become ones and twos. I think I think when we're doing this, you know, talking in 2024, Evo, we're we're talking about the Watson, um, you know, Dubs duo is, of you know, a, a probably top 15 and in the NFL type of a deal. But right now in 2022, they're not there. And and the veterans aren't going to carry you. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry. Randall Cobb and Sammy Watkins just don't have a lot left in the tank. They, they should get a, a little bit of a boost this week from Alan Lazard. But but the difference between this year and, and last year, guys, is, you know, after that debacle of an opener they had against the Saints last year, compare that to today, 
you know, Devontae Adams isn't walking back in the building. Um, you know, he ain't walking through those doors. No, he's not. You know, Alan Lazard is is the boost they're going to get this week and theoretically for the next sixteen weeks. But that that that's nowhere close to a, to a Devontae Adams. And uh, again, guys, I do think they'll be better on offense and they'll figure some things out. But but I have a hunch we're going to get to December and. You know, instead of talking about this as is the normal top five, top seven, top eight Packer offense, they're going to be somewhere in the you know in in the middle, uh, probably between fifteen and twenty guys. They're, they're, that that's where they're going to wind up being. It's it, it's not going to be particularly pretty when it's all said and done. So we'll we'll see where it goes from here. But but to me, Evo, that that would be the number one concern coming out of Sunday. So, Robbie, I like I agree with you. I think getting Alan Lazard back is going to be a little bit of a boost to that wide receiver room, and it's a room that it probably is much better week 11 versus week one. But do you think there is any chance that moving forward in the first handful of weeks where you see Aaron Rodgers talk about guys like Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, he's got some positive things to say about him. Then you hear his comments about, Amari Rodgers or lack thereof comments. Do you think there's any way that in season we see a guy like Amari Rodgers getting cut and maybe them going out and signing a veteran like a Cole Beasley or somebody like that? I guess anything is possible, yeah, Nelly. You know, I mean, we, we, we still are talking about, you know, Gutekunst has to pull the trigger on this thing, right? What, 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 whatever Amari Rodgers has done to wind up in the doghouse and not get a single snap, last week that that's Matt LaFleur's doghouse right now maybe it's Aaron Rodgers doghouse you know we'll, we'll find out a lot more on that I'm, I'm sure as this plays out here over the next two or three weeks but but is it still enough for the guy who picked him and brought him into the family is it enough for Brian Gutekunst to move on from him I would doubt it this year you know to specifically answer your question Nelly I don't I don't think that's something you, you would see now the, uh, a couple of those guys you, you know you just brought up a guy like Cole Beasley could give him a boost from the slot in, in, in a perfect world, he Nelly, get no booster though. You know, in a perfect world, they 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 would dump Randall Cobb for a guy like Beasley, and, they, and you would have an immediate upgrade at that position. But the quarterback's not going to let that happen without without blowing a gasket. So yeah, I mean, a young guy like that, like Rogers, could find himself in in some trouble. But but I think at least for for now and and for this year, he's safe. But it, but it is really interesting that they've all been. You know, really tight-lipped, uh, you know, Rodgers and, and Matt LaFleur yesterday as well when he was at the podium talking about Amari Rodgers, you know, offering up virtually nothing um, in terms of, of why he didn't play and what, what his long-term future is moving yeah, forward. Really See, I asked the question, Rob, because I know Cole Beasley's a guy that's done punt and kick returns before, and Kylan Hill probably coming off the shelf after the first four or five weeks. Is Amari Rodgers really going to be needed if if all Aaron Rodgers can say is, yeah, he's running special teams for us now. That's all I got. <laughs> this is the Midwest Farm Report. From field to fork and everything in between is why the kids from Wisconsin say it's a great way to Charity Seebecker, happy to be with you on this Friday morning. In case you missed the weather update earlier, today it's going to be a warm one with a high of 81 degrees. Tomorrow will be just as warm with a high of 80. While it will still be warm Sunday, you can expect some rain, so be sure to pack your umbrella. Coming up later, we hear from Dan Carey, brewmaster of New Glarus Brewing Company, and how things are going in the brewing industry and his relationship with farmers to get crops for production. But right now, farm team member Stephanie Hoff 
shares an update on how the timber industry is doing with inflation and other issues. Those supply chain issues that came about during the pandemic are lingering in the timber industry. I'm Stephanie Hoff for the Midwest Farm Report. Wisconsin's chief forester, Heather Berkland, explains how supply chain inflation and workforce challenges are impacting forestry. Yeah, I think it, uh, the forest industry is not immune like most right now. Most job, you know, workforce out there is, is having the, some of those same challenges. And I think working together and, and figuring out a plan of attack going forward on how we can you know, mitigate some of these costs for our industry is going to be important, as well as that public outreach and education on the importance of why we need to continue to support forest industry here in Wisconsin for that economic impact back to our state, as well as you know, having that future workforce excited about a career in, in forestry and just connecting the public to all of the forest resources, the tree products that we use in their everyday lives and, and seeing how important it is that we continue to support the forestry efforts and industry here in our state is going to be critical. I don't want to just dwell on maybe what's going wrong in the industry. I also <laughs> want to ask you what's going well. Are our forests healthy? Are communities bouncing back from closures or are we seeing new business come into the state? What's going well? Yeah, no, I, I think it, it is good to look at our successes. And I think anytime you have challenges, it does bring partners together to be thinking about how we can um, collaborate and, and help move forward. And so a couple initiatives with some of our, with some of the federal um, infrastructure um, and investment jobs acts, some of the federal funding that might be coming through will help, um, you know, boost some of the, some industry initiatives um, across the spectrum of forestry. So that's really exciting. Um, I think forest health-wise, it's always ebb and flow. Um, you know, we obviously have some challenges with some pests occurring um, based on the year. Um, you know, emerald ash borer is still a, a big concern as crossing our state as well as oak wilt. Um, but, you know, um, getting a handle a handle on those, um, replanting reforestation efforts so that we have a next generation of trees. There's a lot of initiatives around um, reforestation and maintenance, so that's really exciting. Um, and investing in kind of nursery and uh, future stock. Um, you know, as, and I think in general, um, we, we have a good, uh, healthy resource overall across the landscape in Wisconsin. We do have diverse age classes and species that we can work with. Um, and so, you know, making sure that we can have that opportunity to continue to, to manage to keep the forest healthy um, and having initiatives and partners in place to, for those efforts are critical. That's Wisconsin's Chief Forester, Heather Berklin, along with us from the Wisconsin DNR, sharing some of the challenges but also silver linings facing the timber industry. For the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Stephanie Hoff. Thanks, Stephanie. Another industry being impacted by inflation is the brewing industry. While some may not think of beer as an agricultural product, it truly is. Brewers depend heavily on farmers for a consistent supply of grains and hops to ensure the production of quality beer. Dan Carey, brewmaster with New Glarus Brewing Company, shares more on how things are going in the brewing industry. But first, we talk about his relationship with farmers and getting those crops he needs for production. Hops we buy in two ways. We have some contracts directly with farmers. We buy mostly in, in Yakima, Washington and in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. We buy hop in Wisconsin from the Wisconsin Hop Growers Exchange Co-op. We also buy 
buy hops from Germany and Czech Republic, mainly through hop brokers and in rare cases directly from farmers. As far as barley and wheat, we use malted barley and malted wheat. So there's a process that has to happen between the farm and the brewery, and that's called malting. So we buy directly from maltsters, and our maltsters, most of it comes from Manitowoc, Wisconsin, and Shakopee, Minnesota. And so we contract with maltsters. We contract on a yearly basis, amount that we need of wheat and barley and uh, specifications, and uh, they go out and contract with farmers. Most of our wheat and barley come from the Rocky Mountain area, mostly Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. We try mainly to stay in the United States. We, in very, very rare cases, we might go to Canada, but we, we try to, I would say, 99% comes from U.S. How has inflation and supply chain impacted your business, whether that's getting bottles, caps, or other items needed? Yeah, it's been brutal. I would say that um, I know farmers are facing the same types of things with all of their inputs, fertilizer, et cetera, going up significantly in price. Our biggest price increase has been with cans. There basically only has been three suppliers of cans in the United States, and a lot of different beverages, seltzers and energy drinks, et cetera, are moving towards cans. So there's been a shortage of cans, and the price went up last year about 60%. Minimum orders have gone to very large amounts. So cans are our biggest price increase, but everything's gone up. Uh, you know, of course, we have to be competitive with labor costs. They've gone up. Our malt costs have gone up 20%. So I would say, on average, our cost of doing business compared to pre-COVID is probably up 20 25%. How has your labor force been? It takes a lot to be able to make that beer, and you need all hands on deck. So how is your labor part as well? You know, my wife and business partner, Deb, always says that uh, I'm an engineer, so I think in terms of technical things. And she says, look, it's not machinery that makes beer. It's people that make beer. And brewing beer is highly technical. You need highly trained people. And most of them are trained in-house. So nowadays, it's obviously a seller's market as far as the labor, that people can go anywhere, and uh, particularly maintenance technicians or IT people, they can go anywhere and, and kind of write their own meal ticket. So we need to be competitive, uh, not only in our wages, but our benefits, uh, health insurance, of course, it's probably one of our number one costs. Also, we need to make certain that our people feel engaged. They need to be challenged. They need to feel like they're making a difference. So that takes a lot of effort, but we've done really good. We're, we're fully staffed. We're very blessed in Greene County with people with a very, very strong work ethic and loyalty as long as we're good to them. Do you consider yourself an agritourism destination? I would say, firstly, we're a manufacturer. So we put most of our effort into manufacturing, but people love breweries. People love to go to breweries. They love to, to drink beers, and we don't really do a lot of marketing, per se. So having people come to our gift shop, have a beer, buy a T-shirt, walk around the brewery is really a great way for us to interface with our customers. So 100% yes, we are agritourism. Beer has been marketed as sort of an industrial commodity, but it's really the end product of agriculture. Culture. What efforts do you make to be environmentally friendly? That's an ongoing process. I think true responsibility, it's good business, first of all, because if you're efficient with your
your raw materials, whether they're your barley and hops or water or natural gas or labor, you're going to be more competitive. You're going to be more profitable as a company. So I think that us being good stewards allows us to do that. For example, brewing fermentation produces CO2 gas. And historically, we vented that to atmosphere. And now we're putting in a machine to collect that CO2, compress it into a gas, and reuse it in the brewing process instead of buying CO2. And that, I think, is kind of a big deal. I'm very proud of that. We also do a lot of energy recovery. We have to boil the beer in the process, and that energy is recovered and reused. So we put a lot of effort in trying to get as much out of the process as we can. How many batches of beer do you make in a typical month or year? We make probably 10 a day, 50 a week. Um, Of course, we sell less in the winter than we do in the summer. So 50 a week, say um, 2,000. So how do you choose what style or types to brew? Is it dependent on the crafts that you can get or like availability of it? Or is it just your preference? No, it's the exact opposite. We decide on a beer, on a recipe, and then we go out and try to find the raw materials for it. But the main driver is obvious that it depends on what people will buy. If people don't buy your beer, you're just a glorified home brewer. So we have to make beer that people will drink. And that sounds obvious, but it's not so easy. Flavor is complex. Beer is complex. And the difference between a beer that has drinkability versus a beer that doesn't is sometimes not obvious. And what I mean by drinkable is when you worked hard all day, you come home and you have a beer and you look down and your glass goes empty quicker than you would expect. That's a good drinkable beer. And we strive for that continuously. That was Dan Carey, brewmaster of New Glarus Brewing Company. They offer tours Monday through Friday where you can continue to learn more and try their different handcrafted beers. From the Midwest Farm Report, I'm Charity Seebecker. Rhodes Warm and Serve Rolls are exactly what your meal has been missing. Whether you prefer a soft white roll, an artisan French style roll, or the tang of sourdough, Rhodes has a roll for you. We mix, knead, and bake them in Columbus, Wisconsin, then freeze them to keep them fresh and send them off to your favorite grocery store. All you have to do is heat the rolls up and serve them with a smile. Find Rhodes Rolls in the freezer section today. Whether it's a lot or a little, we need your rainfall reports. The Rural Mutual Rainfall Report is on. Text your rainfall reports to 877-301-FARM. That's 877-301-3276. Be sure and include your name and where you're reporting from because every month we'll pick a winner for a digital weather station courtesy Rural Mutual Insurance. Premiums paid here, stay here to keep Wisconsin strong. Text those rainfall reports to 877-301-FARM. Looking at the Chicago markets, December new crop corn is down three cents at six seventy-four and a half. November beans are down seven and a half cents at fourteen forty-four and a quarter. December wheat is up one cent at eight forty-six. On the dairy side of things, barrel cheese had no change and closed at two oh six yesterday. Forty-pound block cheese also had no change and also closed at two oh six. And double A butter closed down three and a half cents at three seventeen and a quarter. October class three milk contract is trading today at twenty one twenty one a hundred weight down seventeen cents. And November milk is trading at twenty one oh six a hundred weight that's down thirty three cents. Coming up, we have meteorologist Dr. Matthew Lazara on how weather tools they use in Antarctica can also be found on farms here in Wisconsin. Stick around. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.
I've had the opportunity to be involved in several programs in the Wisconsin Farm Bureau, one of which was the Farm Bureau Institute. It's a great leadership program to help develop leadership skills, whether it's social media skills or the opportunity to speak to legislators and learn different ways and tools you can use to help get your message across. WFBF.com. They've really helped my leadership development. A voice for farmers, a vision for agriculture, Wisconsin Farm Bureau. When it comes to custom jewelry, get to know your Denny's jeweler. The way Denny's works custom is based on emotions and it's based on the clients, what they are feeling and wanting and looking for. And eventually it evolves into this piece of art. I'm Nick Denny. Come meet the entire Denny's family at Denny's Jewelers. Trusting someone else enough to pack up your stuff for the big move usually doesn't happen. Our employees are like family and have been with us for a very long time. You can feel comfortable with them packing things up and moving them. This is Brenda from Mad City Moving. We call that the the all-in-the-family move. Mad City Moving dominates any move. Their crew will handle your things well like your things deserve to be handled. Online at madcitymoving.com. Mad City Moving. You haven't seen moves like It's Preston from Window World. Summer is here, and with it, the hot air. Don't let other companies add to it. We won't lure you in with buy one, get one, or half-off installation. Not Window World, not ever. We offer a no-pressure consultation with straightforward, fair pricing. None of that, if you sign today, or let me call my manager nonsense. Window World. Professionally installed at an everyday low price. From farm to fork and everything in between, we cover it all. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke. I'm Charity Seebecker joining you on this Friday morning. The Badger home game is Saturday and the Packers' first regular season home game is Sunday night versus the Bears. Also going on is the Vernon County Fair happening now through this weekend. It's known as the oldest fair in Wisconsin. The Agriculture Society has been hosting this fair since 1856. And if you're there and it sparks a fair memory, we want to hear it. You can submit a written or voiced fair story at MidwestFarmReport.com. And by doing so, you could win up to $500 for sharing. Maybe it's a memory of you winning your first blue ribbon, or you got engaged, or maybe it's an embarrassing story, but now you can look back on it and laugh. Whatever it is, we want to hear it. So be sure to share that with us at MidwestFarmReport.com. Maybe your weekend plans are to make hay before it rains again on Sunday. Or what about putting winter wheat into the ground? How's that corn silage harvest going? Tell me with a text message. Text me at 877-301-3276, and I can share that message on air on Monday morning. Speaking of weather, farm team member Carrie Mess caught up with meteorologist Dr. Matthew Lazara and how many of the weather tools that they use in Antarctica can also be found on farms here in Wisconsin. She shares more. Have you ever wondered how an app can tell us exactly how much rain fell field by field? Dr. Matthew Lazara is a research meteorologist on faculty at UW and MATC. His work with the U.S. Antarctic program focuses on weather station and remote weather observation. He shares how your 
weather station works and more information about what he's studying in Antarctica. For the Midwest Farm Report, this is Carrie Mess. We have a network of weather radar systems that are very, very ubiquitous. And they're not only just watching the precipitation, which is what generally folks are probably doing, right? You probably have an app on your phone or you're watching it on the web on a computer or seeing it on the television where they show you the radar information. And it's generally the, the echoes of where there's likely precipitation happening. That same radar, while it's doing that basic well-known thing that we all very much like looking at, it is also collecting information about how much, what kind of stuff might be falling out of that cloud. It's not perfect, these algorithms, but they've gotten quite good, actually. And so what they're doing is that they're integrating through the depth of the atmosphere, from the bottom all the way up through the cloud depth, getting an essence of how much liquid there is. And so when you do that, you can estimate precipitation as a result. Circling back to your research, Matt, are you seeing trends in Antarctica that then filter up here to Wisconsin? Some of the early work done with the Weather Station Network and in some of the main U.S. or other staffed stations where people are located, because that was what was early done, was first realizing phenomena that we talk about that are connected to us here in the Midwest, like El Nino. A lot of people hear about that, and they know that whether we have an El Nino or a La Nina year affects the kind of winters we have, for example. That kind of thing is happening in the Antarctic as well. Another element, of course, is the change of climate. And in lots of other parts of the world, it's not uniform. Similarly, in Antarctica, we are seeing some spots of the Antarctic have gone through warming. And so some of the same discussions we're having here, you know, like, gee, are we noticing it being warmer here in the Midwest? Are we getting changes in precipitation or storminess here in the Midwest? Those are the kinds of things we're starting to talk about in the Antarctic as well. You know, when I started working in the Antarctic back in the 1990s, weather forecasting, you couldn't really talk about a forecast beyond, you know, a couple of days. That's it. If you ask for a three-day forecast, I think the weather forecasters in the weather office at the U.S. main station would kind of giggle and say, we have no idea, you know. <laughs> Whereas today, you could have that serious conversation with them about a three-day forecast or a four-day forecast, and they're happy to really chat with you because we have more confidence in that. Same here, right? And we now feel pretty comfortable chatting about five, seven, and you see a lot of folks on the television will put up a 10-day forecast because we have more confidence to be able to portray that. There is a limit on predictability. It's only two weeks. That's it. That's the theoretical limit. You can't get any higher than that. Even with all the improvements we're going to always put into this because of great desire to want to know, it's not possible. We'll always be eaten up by this thing called chaos, chaos theory. <laughs> the system is too nonlinear. It has too many variables, too much uncertainty, and it always invades the system so that you can't predict it that with accuracy beyond that. For the Midwest Farm Report, this is Carrie Mess. While farmers may not always trust a forecast, especially 10 days out, the technology used to make those predictions is getting more and more accurate all of the time. Part of that accuracy of weather patterns does come from having more data on weather patterns, and that includes what the weather is doing in places like Antarctica. Without weather data collection, like the U.S. Antarctic Program and what they are doing, the forecast here in Wisconsin wouldn't be as accurate. I know it's a little mind-boggling probably for you because it is for me. You think Antarctica so far away. How can that affect where we are here in Wisconsin? But really, ultimately, it does. And Dr. Matthew Lazar really put into perspective the impact that it can have. This is the Midwest Farm Report with Pam Youngke.